listening to the Bill Sunday School Podcast. Um, yeah, we're kind of trying to make it a habit of when we read a bigger section of Scripture here in the Mill Sunday School, we won't put it on the board, and that's because I want to encourage you and kind of make you turn to the Scripture in your own Bible. So we have Bibles on all the tables. Um, if you bring a Bible, I want to encourage that. I think it's awesome to have your own Bible, whether it's actual physical book or maybe it's a, a program you have on your phone or smart device. But I'd love for you to actually turn to it so you could think about it and look at it as we go. Um, and so it's uh, Romans 13, verses 1 through 5. Romans 13, 1 through 5. And this is a passage, a pretty famous passage about um, obeying authority. Everybody say authority. Authority, And so we're going to talk today about this. It's almost controversial how we should obey authority because we as Americans um, don't like that. Does anybody like to submit to authority? No, it's like, it's like that we kind of rebelled. We're, we're encouraged to rebel with Hollywood and, and shows and, and ideas of just like it's cool to rebel. But the Bible says something different. It says it's not that cool to rebel. Here's what it says, Romans 13 verse uh, 1. It says, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities... For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. So here, to take a little break and say what we're reading here, it's saying, obey authority. This is a biblical command from Paul here in Romans. Let's continue on. It says, and for those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. Verse 3 says, for rulers hold no terror over those who do right, but but over those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and and you will be commended. Verse 4. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword against the wrongdoer. Verse 5 says, Therefore it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. Let's pray this morning. Jesus, we do thank you. We worship you as an authority, as the authority over all creation, over us. God, we we willingly submit to you as as a pure, true, holy, loving God. And God, as we talk about earthly authorities today, God, would you give us understanding and insight about how you um, have placed those people, those authorities over us, and how you want us to react to those authorities. So God, we do love you, and we praise you. And everybody screamed! Amen. Um, I don't know how your parents raised you, but my parents were pretty uh, serious about uh, obeying authority, obeying authority of teachers and school bus drivers and uh, any, any person that was in authority over me, a coach, whatever, I was supposed to obey them. If I ever got in trouble from that authority, I got in huge trouble because it's like, what are you doing? You're supposed to be obeying authority. Um, did some of you have parents like that? They were like, you obey the teacher no matter what. Others of you maybe had uh, parents that were, um, you could get in trouble and then somehow work your story into, it's the teacher's fault because the teacher's dumb. Did anybody, was that like that? There was this girl that rode my bus. So I have a cool clip art picture because I know you like clip art of a bus. Um, There's a clip art bus. But anyways, there was this girl that rode my bus. So this is way back in the day. This is like when I was in uh, third, fourth grade maybe. And I, I don't know her name. I don't think I knew her name at the time. Everyone knew her as the Doy Girl. Doy. You know what that is? Like, we don't get a lot of Doy these days. But if you're like, duh, it's like this. You're so stupid. Doy. Does anybody remember that saying? Or if somebody was staring at you and you would stare back and you'd be like, what are you looking at? Doy. Does anybody remember that saying? 
doy, like do. Okay, I guess you have to be a little older. It was back in my day, but um. Anyways, this girl was the doy girl because anytime you just looked at her, and it could just be a glance. If she looked at you, she would say doy, and and then just like what, what like and so you're walking back to find a seat, and it's like oh, is this seat taken? Doy, go away! And so she was just the doy girl. She was always yelling doy. It was so weird. And so the bus driver, the, the bus driver that we had was kind of strict and uh, wanted people to sit down and shut up. He'd always say that everybody sit down and shut up, <laughs> get on the bus and. Um, and so he didn't like Doy Girl very much because she was always screaming at random times and like scaring the bus driver as he's driving like down treacherous winter roads. Doy! And like, what's that? So one day, the bus driver's like, okay, I've had enough. Doy Girl, you need to sit in the front of the bus. You're not allowed to scream anymore. You have to sit like in the front of the, my bus. Does anybody else have the buses? Like the first re- seat was reserved for the bad kids. Anybody else? And so she had to sit in the bad girl, bad kid seat, and she wasn't allowed to scream Doy anymore. And she was, I think she was crying or something. And so anyways, the next day rolls around. She has to sit in the front of the bus. She's not allowed to scream Doy anymore. And so the bus makes its route. The bus gets to her stop where she normally gets out, and a guy gets on. Turns out it was her dad. And the dad gets on the bus and rips the bus driver out by like his collar and starts screaming at the bus driver saying, how dare you um, get my little girl in trouble? How dare you make her cry? She could sit wherever she wants. She's not going to sit in this front seat anymore. I don't care who you are. If you say anything, I'm going to get you fired. And he's like screaming and like ready to throw punches. The bus driver gets back in and was just like, that was weird. And as a kid, I was just like, that was really weird. Like that girl was totally in the wrong. She was screaming doy all the time and scaring the bus driver like she was putting us at a safety risk i guess in 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 theory and so she had to sit in the front of the bus it's just like duh doy why does you know why doesn't she have to sit in the front so the next day rolls around the doy girl is back in the back doing your doy girl things again and i thought that was that interaction between parent and authority figure is nothing like i had as a kid um here's a story as me as a kid you want to hear a quick story um, so I, and I think it was like first grade, uh, was like the first grade class had a lineup in, in class. Uh, we had a lineup for something to, like to go to lunch. We were lining up in the hallway and we were all lined up except for me. And I was like just goofing off or something stupid, not lining up. And I didn't know where the teacher was. So I was just goofing off. Turns out the teacher was right behind me and like right at the, the moment of my little dance or whatever the heck I was doing. I don't know. She came up behind me and didn't like spank me like hard, but just like popped me and said, get in line. But I was such like a little kid. If you look at my school photos, I was like half the size of other kids until like middle school when I kind of caught up. Um, puberty, I guess. But anyways, I was so little that when she spanked me, and it wasn't really a spank, it was more like just like a little pop to the bottom, um, I, I fell over and there was these steps. I and mean, like, not like a flight of steps, but like a landing, like two or three steps. And I remember like, like falling, getting off balance and falling down steps. Like the teacher had just spanked me down some steps. And so just for like fooling around. And then so when my mom came later to pick me up, the teacher pulled my mom aside and was like, listen, I'm so sorry about what happened today. Here's what happened. Um, Your son didn't line up. And so I spanked him. I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have touched him. I shouldn't have spanked him. If you want to fill out a report with the principal, here's the paperwork. You should. I was in the wrong. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry I spanked your son. And my mom's reaction wasn't, yeah, you did wrong. My mom's reaction was, where is he? I'm going to go spank him some more for fooling around. 
<laughs> so I found a clip art, mom spanking baby. Um, and my mom wasn't abusive by any means. Whenever she spanked me, it was more of a, it wasn't like a hard, like an abusive spank. It was the, like the, the thought of the spank was worse than the actual spank kind of thing. Maybe your parents were the same way. But I just remember, like, I was told to obey authority in such, my mom would never take the side of a teacher or a coach over, you know, like my side. It was always like, well, you must have done something wrong. I'm hearing your story, but, you know, you need to listen to your teacher. You need to obey your coach. You need to listen to the bus driver, etc. And so um, today, what we're going to talk about, um, we are in a series about church history, and so I hope to make this apply to our lesson. Um, but I'm going to talk about church history at the end of this lesson. But building up to that, I want to talk about um, Christian authority, how we as Christians should obey obey the authority that we are under, kind of lead that up to about halfway through this lecture, and then we're going to turn it around and see the other side of that, where we are continuing our talk about Martin Luther, kind of a hero of our Christian faith, um, Martin, not Martin Luther King Jr., we're talking about the original Martin Luther who lived in the 1500s, who is this person that stood up to the church at the time, and we have the Protestant Reformation kind of coming out of his works um, and what he said and what he did. And he's one of our heroes, and yet he was this person who, as a Christian, disobeyed authority at the time. And so it's this balance between, yes, obey authority, but then maybe there's some circumstances where maybe you shouldn't obey authority. And so, but the first part of this lecture is uh, Christian authority. So that's kind of where we're going today. Are we cool? Okay, we seem cool. So um, as far as announcements go, just two. Uh, one, if you're new to the Mill Sunday School, we would love to have you fill out this card. I'd love to meet you um, or the, the, the nice people in the back as you're leaving. There's a little table back there. You can give them this card that you, want, you can fill out with as much or as little information as you want to give us. And we'll give you a, a worship CD in exchange. The worship CD was recorded on a Friday night, which is called The Mill um, that's kind of our college and 20-somethings ministry here at New Life, and that's more of our service on Friday nights at 7. And you should go to that if you're new, at least to check it out. It's more of a service. Sunday school is more of a teaching. We'll do some discussion. Um, and so that's, that's what we do in here. And the other announcement is the Mill Fall Retreat. Woo! Um, yeah, so it's coming up. It's about a month from now, October 21, 22, 23. If you've never been to a fall retreat, ask somebody about it. They'll, they'll, they'll tell you ravingly cool things and awesome things about this weekend that we as the mill go up and spend in the mountains. We have a few sermons, uh, a few worship sessions, kind of like the mill on a Friday night. There's free time. There's breakout sessions. We have time to be alone, of solitary time, just you and God time. We have times of crazy games that we'll play. And, um, and so it's a pretty fun, awesome weekend for meeting people and growing in God. So that's the Mill Fall Retreat. And I believe uh, you can get some more information in the back table if you're interested in Fall Retreat. Right, Courtney? Yeah, thumbs up. Sweet. So as you're leaving, if you want more information or if you want to register or talk about registering, do that in the back as you leave. Okay. Those are all announcements. Let's talk about Christian authority. Let me give you a few verses, and since we're going to be going quickly, I'll put these verses up here um, so there might not be enough time to turn to them. But here's a a verse that is pretty popular about, I think it's about Christian leaders and our obedience to a Christian authority that is above us. I have authority above me. That authority has authority above it, etc. But Hebrews 13, 17 says this. says, Obey your leaders, submit to them, 
for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have account as as those who will have to give an account. Verse 2, therefore, whoever resists authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. So it's don't resist authority, be submissive to the authority that you're under. I think specifically this verse is talking about Christian leaders, uh, for they are watching over your souls. Here's another verse, First uh, Peter 2.13 says, submit to yourself for the Lord's sake to every human authority. Then he gives examples, whether to emperor as a supreme authority or governors or who are sent, to, sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend to do us right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. So it begins with obey every human authority that you are under. And, and so we have this kind of this org chart. I just pulled a random org chart off the internet. And so it's, I think we are all held accountable um, to authorities in different aspects of our life, whether it's family authority, our parents, or, or whatever, or whether it's church authority, our church leaders, our pastor, or maybe Brady Boyd is the senior pastor over this church, or maybe government authority, you know, your, your, the authorities placed above you and the, the laws that you have to obey. And if we think about it as Americans, um, I'll go back to this point that I said when, when, when we first started, and this, this idea that really no one likes to submit. I mean, if you are disagreeing with the authority that you are under, do you love to submit? No. It's just like, no, I don't want to do that. I want to find a way around it. I w- if mom says no, what do you do? You go ask dad. If dad says no, what do you do? You find a teacher or something that will agree with you and then rally against mom and dad. And so you could disagree with them and, and you know, subvert and, and go around authority. That's our, that's our human I think maybe sinful desire to not submit to authorities that are placed above us. And so it's, uh, what I'm about to say is somewhat maybe controversial because I think just our society in America has such a high regard for you know, disobeying authority that that's okay, that we can always find a way to disobey. I think we as Americans, you know, if we think about how our country was even founded, our founding fathers were rebels against you know, the English crown and they, they separated and, and went to war to separate. I mean, we are a country kind of built upon rebels and in and, and Hollywood and movies we watch. You know, it's always the rebel. It's always the Ferris Bueller. It's always the, the person that's kind of subverting authority that's funny and that's cool. And they're like, we want to be like them. We don't want to be like the, the big bad uh, authority figure. We want to be like the cool rebel Bart Simpson guy or whatever. Um, and so this idea of disobeying authority is popular. And, and yet the Bible has a lot to say about obeying authority. And so verses like uh, Ephesians 6, 5 says, slaves, submit to your masters. And we read that as Americans, we're like, wait, what, what? what? Like, I have a question about that. Slaves obey your masters. Is that condoning slavery? I thought if there was a slave, they should all run away. But the Bible says to obey? Like, what's that? I mean, isn't that your initial reaction to that verse as, as Americans that, that, you know, we've put away slavery in our country years ago? Or like the fifth commandment of the Ten Commandments, you know, obey or honor your parents. And then we are just, myself included, and just like, wait, but wait, like, what if our parents aren't Christians? What if, you know, what if, what ifs? And maybe here's another verse, Ephesians 5.22. Wives, uh, obey your husband. And then we're like, wait, what? what? What if there's abuse? Like, what? 
how, does, how can that say that? How can that verse talk about authority? Or the, the verse we already read, Hebrews 13, 17, obey church leaders. And then it's like, well, what, what about, um, let's say if God's calling me to do this, but the authority figure that's over me in my church or whatever says, don't do that. Like, I need to obey God, right? And it's like, we, we just instantly hear obey, and then we always think, well, what if, what about? Um, Romans 13, 1, the verse we started off with today, obey the governing authorities. And then you're like, wait, wait, what? What about, what if there's an evil government? What if we have um, a monster as a president? <laughs> and, and this isn't, this isn't what I, I didn't do this, by the way, but someone went and took the Hope uh, Obama poster and they turned it into a anti I didn't do this, I just found it. Um, Antichrist uh, uh, picture. And so it's like, well, when Paul wrote Romans 13.1, he was probably talking about, you know, maybe good authority that you should, that you should um, submit yourself to. He didn't know that Obama would be president in, in 2011 and that he would be the Antichrist and that he would be doing horrible things. And, the, you know, how could we as Christians submit to this guy? Well, uh, and, and I'm just kind of playing the, the, the devil's advocate. <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> just kidding. Um, but so, so let me get my thoughts here. So Romans 13 says obey. And, and you could think in your head, okay, obey every civil government authority. Okay, that's what Romans 13 says. That's the gist. And then you think in your head, well, if I don't want to obey the government or the, who, the, who the leader over, over our executive system is, is currently Obama. And, and so if you don't want to obey him because you just don't want to obey, you could say, oh, he's the Antichrist. He's evil. Therefore, I don't have to obey him. Well, let me tell you the context of when Romans 13 was written. Romans 13 was written at a time when another guy was maybe the head or the president, or he's actually the emperor over the Roman Empire. And let me just compare Obama and this guy. His name is Nero, or his full name is Nero Claudius Caesar Augustus Germanicus, um, was his full name. And Nero, um, by all you know, stretch of the imagination, was a really, really, really bad guy compared to our current president. Um, this guy, Nero, drank uh, wine out of lead cups. Sound like a good idea? No. He, he literally went crazy. At the end of his life, he committed suicide. He had his own mother executed. Um, he had an adulterous affair with his best friend's wife. Um, when his popularity went down and the Roman Empire kind of like turned on him, he's like, he's not, he didn't have the popularity he once had. He went on a tour and sang like he was like a singer. And like, can you imagine like Obama's popularity going down? And he's like, going on tour to sing? Like, what? Um, like, because he, he was just so in need of this narcissistic, people have to like me thing. And then, like, those are just kind of like bad things he did. The, to the Christians, he did some more bad things. Um, supposedly, he himself burnt down a, a chunk of the city of Rome, and historians argue about maybe whether he did it accidentally. Like, he was crazy, so he's like reenacting this little battle. Like, I imagine, like, G.I. Joe's or something, and he accidentally burnt down his building, and then the rest of uh, this chunk of Rome got caught on fire, or he intentionally burnt it down so that he could build his own palace with, on the rubble that, that was there instead of the buildings that were there. And either way, historians would, would pretty much agree that Nero himself, or somehow uh, him, burnt down Rome. And then Nero, do you know who he blamed? 
the Christians. He's like, well, the Christians must have done this horrible thing. And so he persecuted the Christians. We think that maybe Paul died under Nero's hand, maybe directly in a Colosseum. We're not sure for, we're not exactly sure historically, but we do know that um, Nero uh, killed Christians and then put them on poles, like dead human beings, Christians on poles, uh, covered them in some sort of flammable oil, and then burnt them to light his paths for his own personal, like, garden. That's pretty bad, don't you think? And so for comparing Obama and Nero, um, there's really not much comparison. Uh, Obama seems like a very nice guy compared to Nero, who would kill Christians, burn them. In fact, lots of people think that um, the, the beast who's talked about in Revelation um, is referring to Nero. In fact, if you take his name, you have to look it up on your own. I'm sure you can find uh, information about this. But if you take Nero in, in the original language and you assign a number to it, then those numbers would add up to 666. If you take the, the coin that would have Nero's face on it. You couldn't buy or sell without that coin. And so maybe literally um, some uh, Bible scholars would argue that when the beast is talked about or when the Antichrist is talked about in Revelation, they're actually talking about this guy and not our current president, Obama. And so all of those thoughts, um, that, and maybe your mind's going like in a thousand directions now because I just talked about Obama. I put a, um, him up here, and now I'm talking about Nero. What am I saying? Where am I going? Well, I'm saying that in the time when Paul wrote Obey Your Authorities, the person at the top was an insane man, this guy, doing horrible things, and yet Paul still said, Obey the civil authorities that are above you. And so how much even more is that true that, that we, under a very good government, comparably, should obey the authorities that, that we are under and have a, a regard for them and respect for them? So that's, that's what I'm saying. And if, if it comes down to disobeying authority, because you think about it, like Paul did write, obey the authorities, but then the authorities said, don't preach anymore. What did Paul do? He went out and kept on preaching because he's held accountable to a higher authority, which is God. And Jesus, you know, Jesus would talk about obeying authorities, you know, um, that, that are above you. Jesus didn't obey the Jewish scholars, the Jewish leaders of the day, or the Roman authorities. And what happened to him? Well, he was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And so if you disobey, it's not like this rally that, that, that is stirred and it's more of a humble submission and a Um, uh, maybe a a punishment that has to go with it when you disobey according to the biblical realms. Because here's here's real life for a second. I think, you know, going back to the example of uh, the fifth commandment of the Ten Commandments, it says, uh, children, obey your parents, honor your mother and father. And so we, you know, immediately think like, oh, wait, what if our dad, you know, we're supposed to obey our dad, but what if he tells me to go out and kill someone and then take their money? Do I still have to obey him? Don't, Don't you think like that? Don't you, aren't you, aren't we always, and me, myself included, thinking about like, okay, obey my, my mother and father, but what ifs? Don't we think like that? But what ifs? Now, now, my dad has never asked me to go kill somebody and take their money. I don't think your dad has asked you to go do that either, but your dad probably did go ask you to, um, maybe he asked you to mow the lawn, or he asked you to obey your teacher, asked you to go take out your trash, or he asked you to uh, be home for, to your curfew on time. And, and if we get into this habit of but ifs, or what if, or then, then we have this, you know, maybe a, a spirit, about a, spirit about us that doesn't want to obey, then, you know, your dad tells you to go mow the lawn, and your, your response could be, well, it's not that 
long yet. I don't have to. Or your dad says, obey the teacher. And your response could be, oh, the teacher's stupid. I don't need to do that. Or dad says, go take out the trash. You're like, well, it doesn't even go out till Tuesday. Why do I have to do that? Or your dad says, you know, be home by curfew. You could say, well, I was out witnessing late at night in the whatever. It's like, if you just get into this habit of disobeying, it's like, that's clearly not what the Bible said. The Bible's, you know, just all of these continued passages about just obey. Like that should be our first reaction, not but what ifs. Um, And so um, our immediate reaction, I think, biblically should be a reaction of of obeying the the, the authority that is placed above us. Now, I want to do a a quick um, sermon illustration. So I have this log. Can you see this log over here? It's a log being balanced. And you could stand up if you need to, if you're in the back, or stand on your chair. Whatever you need to do to, to look at this log. And I need four guys, four nimble guys that if they fall off, won't break an, break an ankle. But, um, so I need four guys. Just come on up. Trevor, come on up. Uh, yeah, come on up. I, I'm, I'm going to hold off on you. We're stuck with this. You're, so we want guys that are similar in size. One more guy. You go, all right. Wait, maybe, yeah, okay. So what you four guys are going to do is two of you on one side, two of you on the other, try to balance that out. All right, just get up there. All right, so I, I see, like, so they're trying to balance it. It's really hard. And so... They're all kind of working on it. Uh, uh, uh. Pretty sweet. All right. All right. So now, uh, I think it'll be even easier if, okay, two of you go to one side, two of you go to the other side. And I think you almost did this naturally. But if you guys just stay still and let me, like, do all the work. So just stay perfectly still. It's like, see how easy that was? And so the idea, all right, ready? Get up. All right, thank you guys. Appreciate it. Um, the, the idea, and they, they did, I think they did because Trevor is a leader. Um, what Trevor did was he, he uh, had them, you know, space out correctly, kind of took authority there and did it. And they did it actually really quickly. When I practiced this for this sermon illustration in the mill offices, we had four guys that probably spent like three minutes trying to balance it out and they couldn't do it because each person is individually, you know, moving and trying to balance while the other person is individually moving and trying to balance. And the two other people are, they're all taking charge, right? Whereas when I told them what to do, like spread out, let me be in the middle all four guys just remain perfectly still and let me do the work. How long did it take? A second to just to just balance out, and then we stood there for uh, a little while, just clearly we're balanced. And so it's this image, this idea that, that biblical authority could be a very beautiful thing, that when it's all working together, when, when we as Christians are submitted to the one who is above us and ultimately to Christ, then things are balanced and it's beautiful. Are we cool so far? Everybody say, yeah, we're cool, I guess. All right, so now we're going to take what we've been, we're, we're on this tra- trajectory in this lecture to talk, about, um, to talk about obeying authority. And it's 10 o'clock exactly, so it's almost the middle, exact middle of this sermon. And so now we're going to look at the other side 
of this sermon, the other side of obeying authority. We're going to go back to what we were talking about all this month, which is church history and Martin Luther. And so I wanted to review now. And so if you're, if you're taking notes on the skillet, the piece of paper we gave you when you came in, this, this uh, review is kind of out of order. I put this one at the top because we did just do Christian authority. Now we're going to do review because I, I thought about this lecture this morning and wanted to change it, but then we already had them printed. So anyways, um, so to review... We've been talking about the Middle Ages and this time period between maybe 4th century uh, AD, 400s, 500s, um, all the way up to the 1500s. This period of history where it kind of, things kind of went backwards. It's the Middle Ages. It's the Dark Ages. And towards the end of this period, um, we, we, last week and the week before, we talked about something very bad that happened, which is um, the Catholic Church selling indulgences to the people that were ignorant and did not have a Bible to read for themselves would just believe anything the authority would tell them. And so the authority took advantage of people and sold them pieces of paper that said, your sins are forgiven. It basically was a get out of hell free card. And people were buying them up like crazy because the Catholic Church, the, the authority was saying, this, it works like this. Pay me some money, get this piece of paper, get out of jail, free card. And so this is a picture of some indulgences being sold in Germany at the time. And by the way, I, I'm not um, just Catholic bashing and, and saying that, oh, the Catholic Church is so bad. Look what they did. Well, you know, bad Catholic Church. Yes, what they did at the time was horrible. But what they did at the time, there wasn't another church at this point. Hopefully we're getting our mind around this idea that at the time in the 1500s, early 1500s, when this was going on, there was no other church. So we right now are talking about our church history as Christians. And and what would happen would be Martin Luther coming into the scene of, of this, of, of, indulgences being sold and authority being totally, you know, not serving the people, but authority taking advantage of the people. And so we have this guy in history named Martin Luther. Once again, not to be confused with Martin Luther King Jr. Um, and some of you think that's funny. Others of you are like, oh, okay, I didn't know. Um, but that's, that's, that's who we're talking about. This guy was a rebel, but he lived a long time ago in the 1500s. And on the, what we talked about last week was on October 31st, 1517, Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses on the door, kind of like this, this bulletin board to get people looking at it, of, of his church in Wittenberg, Germany, which started officially the Protestant Reformation, this protest, this reformation of the church at the time. And last week we looked at the 95 Theses. We had them out. And so you all as groups and as tables looked at them and looked at some of the points on them. And I think what you began to saw, hopefully what you began to saw, was Martin Luther's still, at least at this point, when he nails the 95 Theses, when he is still young Luther, um, and he's kind of kind of charging at the church, what you hopefully saw, what I, I can see very quickly, what surprised me when I looked at the paper of the 95 Theses and read them in English, was this idea that Martin Luther was just kind of, his big idea was, if only the Pope knew that the indulgences were taking place, that people were doing this horrible thing of selling indulgences and authority was being um, taking advantage of the people. If only the Pope knew about that, then the Pope would change. The, the, the authority would change. So I just need to let the Pope know the, the ultimate authority, the ultimate human secular, or not secular, the ultimate human authority on behalf of God at the time in the Middle Ages was the Pope. And so if Martin Luther 
could just tell the Pope what was going on, then he would change and he would stop indulgences. And so that's kind of the point of the 95 Theses. But as they got printed and they got put on the printing press, which was invented just a few years before Martin Luther, um, as they went out, the Pope, the papacy, Rome, got a hold of the 95 Theses, the copies of them at least. And then from there, the Pope's response was excommunication to Martin Luther. And Martin Luther would go on from there to realize that the authority was even clear at the top, potentially wrong, that the Pope knew that the indulgences were happening and going on. And so I want to show you a clip of a movie. We've been watching clips all this month uh, of of different Luther movies. This Luther movie comes from 2003. Um, It's just called Luther, if you want to go red box it or Netflix it or whatever, however you watch movies. Um, You can watch this movie called Luther, and it came out in 03. I'm going to show you this clip of where Martin Luther stands before a cardinal, and the, the cardinal is representing Rome, and there's this interaction that happens. And at the end of the clip, I'm going to offer a discussion question and just say, was Martin Luther wrong in disobeying the authority in, in such a way that he did? So maybe we could drop the, um, the, the blind so we could see it. Is that wise, or can you see it okay? All right, we'll drop the blinds. Um, at the very beginning of this clip, um, there was a line, there's a line in the movie that I had to listen to like three times to figure out what they were saying. And it's the cardinal who is representing the Catholic Church ask, asks Luther if he has erred, like made an error. But he just refers to it as err. Have I erred? Like, what is that? Have I, anyways, you'll catch it when, when he says it. Um, um, and then to, to go along with the clip... Um, there's this point where they show there's these two guys looking in on the room. So it's Martin Luther and this cardinal dressed all in red. And uh, the two guys looking in, one of the guys is kind of Martin Luther's spiritual father. And so Martin Luther's spiritual father has been saying, Martin Luther, when you go into this room and meet the cardinal who's representing the Pope, just recant because he has the authority to kill you, to, to put you on trial as a heretic and kill you. So Martin Luther's spiritual father is saying, just recant. Um, the other guy outside looking in is a Catholic representative of the cardinals. He had just um, told Martin Luther, when you go, when you meet the cardinal, lay down, when he tells you to stand, kneel, and when he tells you to recant, you better just recant. Don't do anything else, just say Revoca, this Latin word for I recant. One word when you meet the cardinal, say I recant. And of course he doesn't, which will bring us to our discussion question, was Martin Luther wrong? Um, And then finally, one other thing to precede this clip. It's a short clip, but I don't don't want you to get lost with all the details. So um, Martin, or the the cardinal says, uh, he refers to a, a, a former pope whose name is Clement, and says, Clement says, blah, blah, blah. And, and Martin Luther says, actually, you're misquoting him, which is true. The, the pope, at, uh, that when the former pope, um, Pope Clement, condemned the practice of indulgences. And so here this cardinal is um, using his quote to, to condone indulgences, but it's actually to um, condemn indulgences. So, with all that buildup, we better see a pretty good clip, don't you think? <laughs> Golly. All right. Ready? Here it is. My son, I know you desire to be a faithful servant of Christ and his church. I am here to help you. Stand on your feet, my son. What do you have to say? Have I heard? 
Yes, you have earned. Huh. That I may avoid such error again. You have erred by teaching new doctrines. Which of my teachings is offensive to Rome? For one, indulgences. Pope Clement's decree, Onigeni Tus, clearly states that the merits of Christ are a treasure of indulgences. Acquired. I'm sorry, Your Grace. I think you'll find it says the merits of Christ acquired a treasure of indulgences. I am not here to wrangle with you. No, Your Grace. But Onigenitus was issued 175 years ago, and were this decree not so embarrassing to our church, perhaps it would not be commonly called extravagante and left out of most collections of canon law. It contradicts Panomitanus. Our present Pope Leo is in harmony with Clement's decree. And there ends the matter. The honor of the papacy is not preserved by the naked assertion of papal authority, but by safeguarding the Pope's credibility and the clear testimonies of divine scripture. The Pope interprets scripture. He may interpret it. But he is not above it. He was to say one word. We both know that selling of indulgences have no scriptural support. If common people could read the Bible for themselves, they would understand just how broad the church's interpretations are. That is outrageous. The scriptures are too complex for even the average priest to understand, much less the common man. Indulgences are an established tradition which give comfort to millions of simple Christians. Comfort, Your Grace, I'm not interested in comfort. Comfort is not the issue. So you consider your discomfort more important than the survival of Christianity? I'm interested in the truth. The truth. The Turks are building armies on our eastern borders. We are on the brink of war. To the West lies a world of souls who have never heard the name of Christ. That is the truth. Christianity is tearing apart. And just when we need unity most, you create confusion. My goal is not to quarrel with the Pope or the Church, but to defend them with more than mere opinion. The Gospel cannot be denied for the word of man. I refuse to argue with that monk. All right. <clears throat> Good ending. Um, so here's what I want you to discuss. Th- consider that clip, and those, by the way, that clip isn't just a movie clip. Th- that's a clip of potentially um, words that were actually stated at a meeting that Luther and this cardinal had. We, there's his- historical references. This movie didn't just come out as a interpretation of Luther. It came out as trying to reenact a lot of the historical things that happened in Martin Luther's life when he protested and tried to reform the Catholic Church. So your discussion question, if you wanted to get into groups, if you're sitting at a small table, you could join another table um, to, uh, quickly to, to discuss this question. I'd love for you to interact a little bit. Sunday school kind of is this place where I want you to talk and for us to interact and learn from each other and kind of hash it out with um, dialogue. And so the simple question is just, was Luther, was Luther wrong to disobey in the way that he disobeyed? If all you know about Luther is maybe just that video clip of, of, of the interaction that just happened, use that as like, was Luther wrong to disobey? Cool? All right, ready, get set, discuss. 
All right, um, let's, let's wrap up our table discussions. I realize I'm probably interrupting you, but I, I was wondering if a few of you wouldn't mind sharing what maybe what you shared or if you had a good point or somebody was like, oh, that's a great point. If you wouldn't mind sharing either their point or your own point about this question, was Luther, was Luther wrong to disobey? We have uh, um, one, just one mic today that we'll pass around. And so get the attention of Aaron Higgins. If you have something to say, he's got the mic. And then um, I'd love to hear... Um, something from you all, and I'm sure all of us would. So, who wants to start us off? Anybody? Bueller. Yes, Trevor, thank you. So basically what we came up with is that um, no matter what the human authority, God's authority kind of supersedes all that. So if, you know, somebody's teaching something or doing something that you don't believe in, it doesn't necessarily um, give you the right to cause disorder, but it, it, it kind of allows you to um, voice your beliefs in a way that's respectful and dignant. Yeah, yeah, that's great. So our ultimate authority as, as Christians is, of course, God. Um, and so if there's somebody above us, uh, a secular authority that is not acting in accordance to God, teaching something that's wrong, then it doesn't give us, you said, doesn't give us the authority to just go crazy or totally rebel, but it does give us the authority to do something about it, to stand up maybe against it in a, maybe a respectful way or something. Um, yeah. Anybody else? Yeah. Sven over here. Yeah, I'd like to take the, uh, the Catholic's advocate position. The and, uh, and that I've heard from uh, Catholics that said that, uh, you know, while Luther was um, right in correcting some false practices, which were later, you know, corrected, mm-hmm. such as the selling of indulgences, he was completely unmovable in other situations where, in their perspective, he should have, uh, fo- you know, followed the uh, church tradition because they weren't actual biblical concerns. Yeah. And instead of uh, enacting positive change within the established institution, he caused an entire uh, collection of uh, nations to go into schism from what they believe is the one true church. And so from their point of view, he did a a huge damage to the church as a whole. And uh, let's all remember that the Catholics are the largest denomination. Uh, And so maybe maybe there's a certain degree of truth in that his um, violent uh, stepping away was not the best way. Yeah. But instead, that sometimes you need to take the established ways to disagree with authority while not specifically disobeying and enact positive change within the institution. That's good. Thank you. Somewhat um, controversial, and I love that, Sven. Thank you. Um, Ramil has his hand up here. And then if anybody else wants to share, then I have some things I was, I was going to say. Um, actually, he wasn't wrong because he actually was... Uh, not trying to please man. He was trying um, to please so God. So if he was actually um, trying to go against the Pope in yeah. that way of senses, he was actually trying to please the Lord. So, yeah. Yeah, I think there's this, this balance, and we in history, and especially our history as... Did this just go off, or is it still on? Is it still on? Okay, I just I heard something and panicked. That's what I do. <laughs> Anyways, um... 
So we as Protestants, and we would be Protestants because we're non-denominational New Life Church is a Protestant church because it's not a Catholic church, and we would trace our history to this reform that happened in the Middle Ages, the late Middle Ages, the Reformation. Um, we see Luther as kind of our hero. We see him as, oh, he didn't do anything wrong because he was just questioning the authority that was above him, and questioning authority is sometimes a good thing if the, the authority's wrong. But then Sven brought up the very good point of like, wait, if God's authority is being placed here on the earth by God, according to Romans uh, 13 or Hebrews, the passage that we read today, then it would be wrong to, to go against authority. And I think the way in which Luther started to go about Rome and, and the authority that was placed above him was maybe a very good way. He's, I think Luther started off very good. The 95 Theses, which we read last week, these bullet points um, that, that were kind of, I think in some ways, standing up for the Pope and saying, the Pope can't be condoning this. It's such a horrible practice. He has to be condemning it. So if the Pope only knew that these indulgences were taking place, then he would change it. And so I think Martin Luther starts off um, with this just reformation of like, the Pope doesn't know that this is going on. I just need to inform him. I just need to let him know. But then as the Pope finds out about these 95 theses and just excommunicates Martin Luther, I think there's this changing point where Martin Luther burns the note of excommunication as Martin Luther gets a little older. Here's a picture of of Martin Luther a little bit older. There he is. Um, He says some things that are pretty radical. Martin Luther's language is very earthy, very real, very, I think, shocking, especially for the time it was written in. Um, I printed, we always do a, a sweet quote of the day on your skillet and on the back of the skillet on the little bottom part, is the sweet quote of the day by Martin Luther. And it says something like this. If Rome is not a brothel above all brothels, I do not know what brothel means. Yikes. I mean, he's name-calling. And so this is Luther later on in his life kind of really disobeying and directly reforming this authority that he was under. Um, He says other things like this. The Pope should stand up like the stinking sinner he is. Yikes! Like, this is a direct quote. Obviously, in English, he said it in German. But that's like, wow, that's some, that's fighting words right there. That's, um, that's not what you should be saying about the person in authority over you. And so all I'm really saying here is, I think in, in my historical understanding of Luther, I think he started off very well in that he was just, if the Pope just knew, he held the best, the most respect for the Pope, the, the figure of authority over the church at the time, until he knew that the Pope was really kind of a bad guy. The Pope knew about these indulgences. The Pope was taking money from people to build the palace of St. Peter's Cathedral. He said other things like, um, there's such a swarm of vermin in Rome that there is nothing like it ever found in Babylon. Yikes, a little biblical uh, slam there. And then the, the Pope should, and so this is specifically about the money being taken by the Pope. And he says, Martin Luther says, the Pope should restrain himself and get his fingers out of the pie. <laughs> this, this, I mean, he's, he's attacking the Pope. He's attacking the authority that he was, oh, he was under at one point. And it's all because of this bigger idea, which I think is Scripture. And that Luther, and we saw it in the clip that we saw where Luther is talking to the cardinal. And he says, if the people could only read scripture for themselves, they would see that the interpretation of the church is different than the obvious interpretation that they should have of scripture. And there's this famous 
um, Latin word that kind of came out of the Reformation. And it's two words, actually. It's sola scriptura. Have you heard that before? Sola scriptura, this Latin phrase for only by scripture, that that should be our ultimate authority. And, and Luther's really questioning this idea that, that councils and cardinals and, and popes could err where scripture can't err in teaching what is true. And so our ultimate authority should be placed upon scripture. And so here's a picture of, um, I think, a replica of Martin Luther's Bible way back in the day, uh, 1523. Martin Luther translated from Latin, which was the holy language at the time, the entire New Testament, and then he would go on to translate the Old Testament into the people's language, which was an old German at the time. And so can you imagine the, the, how radical that must have been at the time when the Bibles, first of all, weren't printed, they were handwritten, and then within Martin Luther's life, the printing press had just been invented, got going, and so people were beginning, beginning to print Bibles um, that, that you could have a Bible in your own language, whereas just a few years ago, you couldn't have a Bible in your own language. You couldn't even probably get a copy because it was a handwritten, like beautiful bound piece of work that was probably worth, I don't know, maybe your entire life savings if you saved every penny you ever made, you know, from the time you were born until the time you died. And so imagine that. I mean, we have so many Bibles. And here, there's Bibles all over the table. Some of you, how many of you brought your Bible today? Yeah, good for you. How many of you have a Bible on your phone or iPod or iPad or whatever. And so the Bible is so easily accessible. We can all, as believers, go to the Bible, read passages, study it, think and, and, and think about maybe what a leader is teaching to us that's in the Bible. We could agree or disagree with their interpretation. And so, um, what I want to get to is just one more discussion point, which we'll kind of close with. What we'll do is I'll, I'll tell you what the discussion is, and then we'll close in prayer, and then it'll just kind of be an open ending to, to the, the Sunday school. You can leave when you kind of wrap up your discussion, or you could stay as long as you want. But it'll kind of, in some ways, um, hand in, go hand in hand with what we're going to talk about next month. And by the way, we, we printed new Sunday school bookmarks, and next month's topic, October, is Bible myth-busting, which, which um, I'm excited about. We're going to talk about, it says we're going to talk about some of the confusing, hard, misunderstood passages of the Bible, which will bring us to, like, how do we interpret the Bible? And so the Catholic Church had the same Bible as Martin Luther— that, you know, they both had this, this Latin Bible that they took and they read. And yet one, the Catholic Church, is saying, yeah, it's perfectly fine to sell indulgences. And Martin Luther is interpreting the Bible and saying, no way, that's the worst thing we could do. So the discussion question that I'll give you, then we'll pray, and then I'll allow you to, to discuss with the time that we have left. We are ending a little bit early. Is, is I think, a pretty profound question. And that's if two Christians radically disagree over an important passage of Scripture, what criteria should dictate the correct interpretation? Like they're, so they're going back and forth, one saying this, one saying that, and saying, no, this passage means this. It's like, no, this passage means that. And they're going back and forth over the same passage in the same Bible. What criteria could you step back and say, okay, well, let's just agree to talk about the rules for a second. 
what makes a good interpretation of a, of a passage? Because, friends, like we have the same Bible, potentially, as a Mormon. We have the same Bible as a Jehovah's Witness. We have a same Bible, maybe different translations or whatever, but similar Bible with people of, of other denominations, which we would say that we're on the same track as other denominations, but outside of the Christian church, we you know, would say that potentially an atheist has the same Bible as we have. And so how, how is there so many different interpretations of the same Bible, the same passages? And so this discussion question, I hope, brings about an important answer as we we kind of lead into next month's topic where we will talk about confusing, hard, and misunderstood passages of Scripture. So, I'm going to pray, and then we'll close in prayer, and then discuss this question um, for as long as you like. Okay, let's pray. God, we do worship you. We praise you as our ultimate authority in life for our, for our Christian, our spiritual, our soul. God, we trust you. We trust that you have good things in store for us when we follow you. God, we trust that even if those things don't seem like they're good, God, we will still follow you. We, we know that there is everlasting hope and peace that comes with following you and your ways. And God, we do know that the word says to obey authority. And so God, give us um, the strength to do so. God, give us peace of mind. Give us strength when we're obeying authority. But at the same time, God, if there's ever any reason why we need to change something that is above us, to change or to to let people know about something that is wrong, God, would you give us the understanding and the the reason to, to, to do so? So, God, we love you. We do praise you, Jesus. And everybody said, amen.